And welcome back. Welcome back to Linda Pinizzato of the Condo Expert at the Hayes FM. Going to talk about shared facilities and uh, how boards have to work with one another. So basically, you've got, you know, more than just the single standing condominium building or even a townhouse. And you've got, you know, different complexes that are all supposed to be working together. Now, the bottom line here is this, is that the one building could have either three board members or it could have five. Personally, it should be mandated that all condominium buildings in the province should have five board members. The three just creates too much tension in the sense where there could be a lot of control just by two majority vote. Not really a great idea considering that they have to make sure that this uh, building is protected. So it's better to get five people involved to truly take time to understand and address the issues. And then you could, on a majority, you would have only a three to two vote, which negotiation of concerns would probably run a little bit smoother and better and more protective to the condo owners as opposed to two one. Having said that, so you've got in one building, if you have your five directors and building two has five directors and potentially building three has five directors. So what you have is you have 15 people that are supposed to come to terms with agreements on things in order for them to run the shared area smoothly. Now the shared area, again, it does not mean the independent building. It means the common areas of all the buildings. So that could be the lobby. That could be the underground. That could be the outside garden area. If you have gatehouse security, for instance, that would be considered shared. If you have a rec center, that would be considered shared. So the shared budget, what happens is, is that it gets prepared and all of the different boards, the three different board of directors have to approve it. Sometimes that can be quite difficult because if you have one building where they're really not going to be cooperative with the other two buildings, there is no such thing as a majority vote on it. They're all supposed to be working together. There is something called a reciprocal agreement. And a reciprocal agreement states that these parties, you know, and and a lot of times you'll have like a shared facility committee. And the shared facility committee will bring down the numbers a bit so that you don't have 15 people in a room all trying to get along. So if you have a committee, you could have two representatives from one building, two from another, two from another. So now you've got six. That doesn't approve things, but what it does is it creates a negotiation back and forth to to come to decisions with respect to the shared facility area. Again, if you don't have a representative from one of the buildings, it makes it very, very difficult because the chances of being able to get an agreement is slim to none. So there's no doubt that there, there has to be a better mechanism of enforcement with respect to shared facilities because it, it jeopardizes the whole situation of shared if for some reason you're getting boards that are refusing to work with one another. And I will tell you that uh, many, many years ago, I was actually having an experience like that. And they just down the route. We were able to get through the operating budget. So we were able to approve that. But to move forward and even as much as put up a Christmas tree in the lobby, we had problems because we could not get one of the uh, buildings to even attend the meetings and discuss it. After several attempts to try, of course, you know, that, that would create a tremendous disharmony between the two buildings. 
And sometimes owners aren't even aware of what's going on internally. Granted, board of directors are volunteer, you know, volunteer people. I mean, we're already tight with time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Ever since computers and uh, emails and social media and everything came in, it's, uh, I don't think it's made our jobs easier. It's fun. It's great. I mean, it's wonderful to be in touch on a constant basis, but I will tell you, it's ridiculously demanding. And uh, I think that now Ontarians have less time than ever to really do certain things and so on. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to stay on top of everything nowadays. And it's not always easy. So to have a lot of aggravation going on in a volunteer position makes life even more complicated. And, and of course, it's, you know, it's not harmonious within a community. So basically, what really needs to be done now is there need to be more legislative strength on how shared facility people are to work with one another. And the Condo Act outlines exactly what should be done, but it doesn't have a strong level of, of enforcement in the sense of fines or, you know, anything that would force these buildings to work with one another. To give you an idea, if, if all of a sudden you have the three buildings and you've agreed that you're going to have the operating budget, but you've run into a problem because you need some repairs or you need some replacements or you need to do something with respect to renovations. Again, you need to have a vote on the process and the majority is the majority, which has to be all the buildings involved. So that's what shared facility is. So the shared facility, of course, has to have insurance because a shared facility insurance the building insurance isn't covered under shared because shared is a different entity. It's a separate entity. However, the cost for that insurance is actually split between all three buildings. The interesting part is you would think that it would be split evenly. Well, no, it's not. It's going to be split in accordance with the percentage. So in other words, if one building is larger than the other building, then they would have a higher expenditure. They don't get a larger voting power. They still have equal voting power, but they pay a larger percentage of the operating expenses for the shared area. And that would also include contributions, you know, as far as anything to do with the shared, they would be subjected to the higher percentage. So that's one thing that's really important, because if you looked at the, uh, the shared amounts for the three different buildings, and you may find that they're not even, then you're going to understand why. And in fairness, that is the right way to do it. I mean, because you're going to have more usage from one building than another building only because of the numbers. So the shared budget should be, the year end for that shared budget should come pretty much at the same time as the, as the buildings. It would make it a lot more convenient. There's always cases where one building gets built, say, for instance, uh, their year end happens to be June, June 30th. And the second building comes about and, you know, and it gets built and then their year end happens to be May 30th. And then the third building comes and their year end is October 30th. Well, the question is, which year end is the shared facility? So it's really, it's really hard to work it when they're all different times. So in most cases, honestly, I would recommend highly that if anyone listening out there, you're on a board of directors and your year ends are all different, please, you know, give some consideration to changing your year-end to unify all the buildings with shared facilities and have it all at the exact same time. 
it makes it a lot easier to determine what your operating budgets are going to be and moving forward, even as far as approvals and so on, it would honestly make life a lot easier than having them all different. My comments, by the way, are all from direct experience. You know, I can't tell you how much uh, I have learned about condominiums in the last 17 years. And, you know, experience, of course, strengthens your knowledge and it strengthens your ability to, to give out some information, not just about going out there and researching this. Now that we've covered your certificate of insurance, at least you know that you're going to be protected. But that's kind of a kind of sort of, and I'm going to explain why. If the board of directors receives their insurance policy and they have the renewal, and they've determined that it's going to cost X amount of thousands of dollars, and they really want to touch it because they don't want to spend that much money. When the building was built, okay, there's something called a standard unit. Now, that standard unit is going to be what it was when it was built. And if that included, for instance, uh, carpeting, you know, as a standard unit, then the standard unit is what the condo insurance policy would be about. However, if the board of directors decided that they don't want to include, they don't want to continue to have floor coverings as part of their insurance policy, they could turn around and make the decision that they want to remove the floor coverings out of the policy. So therefore, that means that the insurance policy will only cover to the concrete floor. You know, for honesty reasons and for protection of the owners, no doubt the board of directors should at that time make sure that every unit owner knows about this. Because some unit owners out there, and I don't understand why, I have no idea, but they do not know or they don't believe that they should go get unit insurance, but they should. Everybody needs unit insurance. Every tenant needs tenant insurance and any, any investor needs unit insurance. So at minimal, every unit in this province, every townhouse unit, condo apartment unit, commercial unit should have owner's insurance. If they're an owner and they're leasing the property, it'll be called a tenant rental insurance. But if it's a, a tenant that's leasing the property, they also need their own personal insurance as well. Now, the thing is, is that there's something called a betterment. And the betterment, what that means is that if you've decided you didn't like that carpeting, so you've turned around and you've changed it and you've put in like three quarter inch Jatoba hardwood flooring. Uh, that's expensive stuff. That's not cheap. I mean, Jatoba hardwood flooring is very pricey. So if you've decided to do that, or you've decided you're going to put in cork, or even if you've decided that you want to put in, you know, say marble or granite or whatever, you know, the bottom line is, is that is a betterment. And that is not going to be covered in a standard unit. So therefore, that's when the building insurance would not cover that because it's now been taken out of the policy. And that's where you will get, you know, additional protection. So the bottom line is, is that your insurances are extremely important. I mean, you know, when was it? A couple of months ago, uh, a few of the downtown condominiums had a huge fire. You know, they're still up in arms about it. There's still a huge problem. Uh, it was a main, it was a city water main that ended up breaking. And, you know, without the insurance, your own personal insurance to kick in, to give you some type of resolution and a roof over your head, where would you be? 
So the certificate of insurance is extremely important. And for you to go get your own insurance is extremely important. The Condo Owners Association is working very heavily right now with a major insurance company out there who's uh, brought forward a fabulous proposition. And so please stay tuned because uh, it's just around the corner for us to uh, step forward and provide something that's going to give you tremendous coverage and you will know that you are protected. Let's get into operating budgets. We're not even going to talk about the Condo Act today. We're going to move forward towards the condominium documents, and then we're going to relate it back to the Condo Act, because you need to know how your building operates, and now then you need to understand how the provincial government stepped in in these operations. So the operating budget. Please sit back for a moment and think about this for a second. The operating budget. What on earth is an operating budget? Well, you know, you have to, you have to look at this. Let's just look on a small scale. You would have to pay your utilities, utilities. You need utilities. You need your hydro. You need your heat. You need your water. Those are your main utilities. So those are expenditures. You need cleaning. The building needs to be cleaned. That's another one. You need management, property manager. You need someone who's going to basically look after the day-to-day operations now, these are the contracted people. So the contracted companies are your property management companies. They're a contracted company. If that board does not want that company, that's fine. With a 30-day expiry term on it, they can cancel the contract and they can move on to another property management company. And then that property management company would delegate a property manager as an employee that oversees the operations of the contract for property management. So you need property management contract. You need the security contract. You also need a contract that's going to look after the mechanicals of the building. It could very well be Provident. Whatever, whichever company it is, you need that the mechanical side of contracts. And then, of course, you know, your operating budgets are are going to include, you know, other miscellaneous types of things that you may have to have in that. But but basically, an operating budget budget includes everything, all the expenditures that need to be paid out during the year. So say, even if you break it down monthly, you have income coming in, you have expenditures going out. So the income that's coming in is the maintenance fee. So the maintenance fee that is charged to all the units through the building is the revenue that's coming into the corporation. And from that revenue that's coming in, there has to be an even balance with the expenditures going out. So if you think on a monthly basis, Okay, because a lot of these budgets, they, they literally cost, you know, a condo corporation in, in general, you know, and I'm talking about high rise buildings now. They tend to cost about $1.2 million a year to operate on an operating budget. However, that does also include the reserve fund. So a portion of your maintenance fee goes into reserve fund, which it has to, it has to. There's no way in the world that any building out there should not have a substantial reserve fund. And what a reserve fund is, is that 
There's something called a reserve fund study, and it's a professional study that's done on the condo building so that this condominium will have the money in their accounts over the course of the study, which will identify what needs to be done when. So in other words, if the building is five years old and the study predicts that that carpeting needs to be replaced by the time the building is 10 years old or 12 years old, that reserve fund will have the monies to pay for the replacement of carpeting when the time comes. Or if you have a leak problem in your roof, your roof is now 12 years old. The reserve fund study is showing that now you're at the time where the money has to be in the reserve fund to repair or fix replacement to be done on that roof, repair or replacement. So the bottom line is, is that the reserve fund has to be lucrative enough and be in a good financial situation in order for it to protect the repairs, not not the day-to-day repairs, because that's operating budget. So if something just breaks down and it's not anything to do with uh, the reserve fund, it just breaks down, that has to be an expenditure through the operating budget. But the replacement, okay, refurbishments. So in other words, if all of a sudden, you know, the lobbies are incredibly outdated and there's a refurbishment that needs to be done in the building, provided that it's in tune with that reserve fund study, then it can be done and approved by the board of directors with the restrictions that are outlined in the Condo Act. So if everything is running really smoothly and the board of directors knows what they're doing and they have a good concept of the importance to stay in line with the operating budget and stay in line with the reserve fund study, There should not really be huge increases because, you know, only to do with the cost of inflation. So the cost of inflation, okay, that would affect increases to the operating budgets. I will tell you that the buildings that I've been involved in uh, as the president of the board, we have not had any more than roughly about a two to two and a half percent increase on our budgets. And we have contingency funds and we have surplus funds. It is incredibly important to make sure that there's three quotes coming in every time that one of these contracts goes out for tender. Three quotes. That way you make sure that you're going to the the board of directors, makes sure that on your behalf, that they're getting the best price with the best service. Not that they're getting a good price and then the service is shoddy and it's really bad and now you've got problems and who knows what's going to happen afterwards. It's a combination. So, But it's also to make sure that there's a good understanding between all five board members that compared shopping has been done so that the board has not extended and taken the most expensive contract, which in in the end, is actually going to increase the operating budget, therefore increasing your maintenance fees beyond the necessary limit. Because at the end of the day, it hurts everybody's pocketbook. So if you're on the board of directors, think about budgeting yourself. You're not going to go out and spend a really super high contract when meanwhile you do know that you can get it for less money and it's the equivalent kind of service. 
There's a lot of good price comparable shopping out there. And that needs to be implemented in every condominium building so that it doesn't create out-of-control maintenance fees. So if you think of an operating budget, it's a pie shape. And that pie shape, believe it or not, utilities, service contracts, and reserve funds are the biggest impact on an operating budget. If you go into the COA site, coaontario.com, you can look at the pie shape. It can explain to you and show you how the breakdown is on an operating budget. Now, it will also show you one on a shared facility because shared facility runs the exact same way. Because don't forget, if the concierges are part of shared facilities, they will not be in the operating budget of the building. It will be in the shared facility budget. And that's the reason why both budgets for both the building and the shared facility should be coming you know, year-end at the exact same time. It makes life a lot easier than trying to project something, say, two months, three months down the road with the different entities of the two things or, or say, the three different buildings. So, honestly, it's it really is an important suggestion for all of these boards to consider teaming together that year-end, especially if there is shared facilities and only if there's shared facilities involved. So the operating budget, that total now reflects the maintenance fees. However, the maintenance fees division, how do you divide the maintenance fee? Why does your next door neighbor pay more money in maintenance fees than you do? The reason is price per square foot. The larger the unit, the larger the maintenance fee. The smaller the unit, the lesser maintenance fee. The factor is broken down. Believe it or not, your condo document will actually identify the, the units, the, like not necessarily the size, but the unit, like as far as which unit it was and where it, uh, where it all comes about, okay, like the fractional portions and so on. But really, what you need to understand, again, is the larger the unit, the more expensive your maintenance fee. Now, bear in mind, today, you know, a, a lot of things have changed. Like a lot of the older buildings they have utilities that are included in the rental or in the uh, maintenance fees. They're included. So your maintenance fees, you pay one maintenance fees, and then you know that uh, you don't have to pay your heat, your hydro, your water. You don't have to pay anything. Now, if you're in a townhouse, it's completely different. In a townhouse, maintenance fees in a townhouse generally, not all the times, but generally speaking, will include water and common elements. Okay, so your common elements in a townhouse is going to be the exterior part of your, your building, your landscaping and so on. And of course, um, the, the water, but, you know, entranceways coming in, snow removal, that type of thing. I think that there's only one other type that might create a little bit of a difference is going to be that stacked townhouse, as I mentioned, because the stacked townhouse is like a building except it's got three townhouses all on top of each other. So they tend to have it all inclusive because otherwise it makes it a little bit different as far as metering and so on. But a standard townhome, whether it be a you know single story or two story with a garage, without a garage, they will tend to have a, a lower maintenance fees, which would just be shared areas and water. Again, you know, some of these types will have underground parking. 
Now, the underground parking, of course, on a townhouse complex is a little bit more expensive because it covers a lot of area of land. So they, they have those as well where they have a big common area. Now, for instance, down here in Mississauga, if you take a look along Lakeshore, there's a couple of complexes along Lakeshore that have that kind of a structure. So they're, they're standard two-story townhomes, but the to get to the underground parking, you go downstairs and you go into the underground. So the underground parking is actually shared amongst everything. And it's a large underground complex. And it can get cut quite pricey, depending on what kind of repairs have to be done. But if we're talking about just standard townhouse complex where you drive in, you have your basement, you have your garage, Maybe you do have a garage, you don't have a garage, but it's a single standing uh, within a complex. Then generally speaking, your maintenance fees would pretty much only include the common elements and your water. The benefits to that, of course, would be the fact that your roof would be most likely covered, your exterior windows could be, your doors, and so on. However, also, you need unification. So in other words, people can't go changing, coloring their doors. One door is yellow and the next door is green and so on because you want unity within the complex because it helps as far as value and so on. And that's all, again, outlined in your condo documents specific to your complex. But the maintenance fee in a condo high rise, nowadays, there seems to be, depending on the new construction, Sometimes the builder will come in and they'll put the heat pumps right in the unit. So those, of course, will be self-metered, self-owned. Hydrometers are self-owned as well. So there'll be a, a separate meter. Say, for instance, a company comes in and they sell the hydro to the building, but it's separated off to each unit. So therefore, each unit pays it separately. And that would then, therefore, not be included in the overall maintenance fee. So basically, what you use is what you pay. But you know what you use personally, so you only pay what you use. You don't pay a portion of what the overall bill is based on your square footage and your maintenance fees. I, I know that this sounds a little bit confusing, but I will say that this is not the first time I'm going to run through this. Uh, over the series of this show, I'm going to give a step-by-step education, an online education from Linda Pinizzato, the condo expert at the Hayes FM. So please stay tuned. This is incredibly important information. You'll be amazed at what you're going to learn, and it's important.